Hi, my name's David Stoker, and I'd like to welcome you to Better Life and Recovery, the hashtag Hope Dealer Movement. As a visible and vocal member of the recovery community, I'm frequently asked questions and for advice all the time. Some people are curious, some people are still using, some people are in recovery, and some just care about somebody who is struggling with a substance use disorder. If people in my community have those questions, I know that people everywhere do. We started this podcast to give you answers and support because not only is recovery real, it's amazing. Today's episode is going to be about the podcast itself. Uh, they say episode zero, but I think of it more like a, a 101 or maybe an 050 entry level podcast, if you will. Uh, we'll talk about better life and recovery, kind of what that means to me and what it means to the community I live in, as well as what it means to be a hope dealer. Now, I don't want to ruin the surprise for you, but I know that everyone listening to this podcast has the ability to be a hope dealer. In fact, a lot of you are hope dealers right now, and you may or may not know it. Um, finally, we will end with uh, kind of talking about what future episodes will sound like, because we're going to have a couple different formats for episodes so that it's not just me always talking um, about my experience, strength and hope, but there'll be other things thrown in there too, and I don't want to ruin that. We'll get to it at the end. Now, I said the first thing I wanted to talk about was Better Life and Recovery. Uh, that's a nonprofit that I started back in 2015, or at least that's when it actually was recognized as a, as a 501c3. And to me, it just means that, man, there is such a better life in recovery than what I was using. Now, I hear people all the time say I wouldn't trade my best day sober for my, uh, my best day, uh, my worst day sober for my best day high. And all I'm going to say is I, I will never say anything that knuckleheaded. Uh, honestly, I did drugs because I love drugs. I love the way drugs make me feel, but I hate the person that they turned me into over time. I don't ever want to be that person again. That said, I, I mean, if you look at it, I'm never going to feel some of those emotions, which is why having foundation built and supports in your life are super, super important for your recovery. And that's why we need it. You know, now, is my life today amazing? Absolutely. I love my life today. And today, no matter what happens, I know that I have the people and tools in my life to make it through anything that comes at me without using again. And that's a pretty neat thing to know because I don't ever want my life to reach the depths that it reached when I was actively using. So yeah, so Better Life and Recovery is a nonprofit. It's kind of neat, uh, just the transition of it. Uh, we started in 2012 with one event, 2013, we had three events, 2014, we had seven, uh, 2015, we filed our 501 C three, 2016, we partnered with two other organizations and opened up the Springfield recovery community center. Uh, 2017, we got a grant, uh, federal grant through the STRSOR grant, which is state targeted response, the opioid crisis, state opioid response grants, uh, funding for a couple years for our recovery community center. And then in 2018, we actually ended up having over 800 events and groups, over 10,000 people through our door and another 3,500 people that were impacted by activities that we did outside of the Springfield Recovery Community Center. So that's what Better Life and Recovery is actually. I mean, that, that concrete thing is the nonprofit. But a Better Life and Recovery, I mean, that's just, that's the expectation. You know, um, I know that once I get into recovery, my life is going to become better if I put the people in my life I need to. 
you know, and those are things we'll talk about in further podcasts, um, how to shore up any of those uh, weaknesses or limitations that you might have. So I'm really excited about some of that. Now, the Hope Dealer itself is probably the part of this that I like the most. Um, the Hope Dealer concept isn't something I came up with at all in any way. I'd love to be like, yes, I invented Hope Dealer, but Hope Dealer's been around forever. Uh, I just kind of hashtagged it, uh, kind of like other people have. I know that there's like a a college grant program that's called the Hope Dealer something uh, that I think there's a celebrity that started. And I know that I've seen tons of Hope Dealer t-shirts and everything else. So this is no way mine, but it's something that I have co-opted. How about that? Now, to me, uh, a Hope Dealer may mean something a little bit different than what other people say it means. So uh, for starters, I, I want to share a couple stories with you about the Hope Dealer. Uh, some of these are stories you might have heard before, but they're really important to kind of the evolution of how we moved from the days of me talking to somebody in public and saying, I'm, uh, I'm an addict, to saying, hi, my name's David and I'm a person in long-term recovery. What that means for me is I haven't used alcohol or other drugs since January 31st of 2009, and because of that, Today, I make my community better. I'm really big on positive things. I'm really big on not using labels that will further marginalize people that are already marginalized, right? Um, as a therapist for eight and a half years, for example, I, I stopped working relapse prevention plans with people, and I started working recovery enhancement plans. I don't want to focus on everything that somebody couldn't do and everywhere that they couldn't go and everyone that they couldn't be around. Instead, let's talk about how they meet positive people and where the positive places to be are and what the positive sober pro-social events are they can go to, right? Let's focus on all those amazing people, places, and things that exist around people instead of going, oh no, it's going to be really bad, Right. So that's kind of what that hope thing is, you know. Um, so better life and recovery is a hope thing. I mean, it's how one kid with a, a dream started with one event and has now grown it from there. Now, when it comes to hope dealer movement, uh, I, the first story I really think of is the story of the man in the hole. And a lot of you have probably already heard that before. Right. Uh, there's a a man who's walking through a dark area one day and he fell into a deep hole. He struggled and struggled to find a way out, couldn't find a way out, and he started uh, in despair crying out for help. Before long, he heard footsteps above and he cried out louder. They stopped and he heard the footsteps getting closer to the edge. Immediately, somebody began lecturing him from the top. You know, they told him all the dangers about walking around in the dark and how foolish it was for him to fall into a hole he couldn't get out of and how he should always avoid both, and then they walked away. Now, what they told him was true, but the guy's still stuck in the hole, and it really wasn't helpful. Personally, I can't tell you the number of times I heard this garbage in my past. Uh, drugs are bad. Really? Drugs are bad? I always thought they had vitamins and minerals in them. I mean, why do we tell kids drugs are bad? They told me drugs are bad the first time I tried it. Uh, it did something nothing ever had. I had tons of childhood trauma. And for the first time in my life, I wasn't thinking about that trauma. And I thought, oh my goodness, if I stay this way, 
then I don't ever have to deal with my trauma in my past again. And I found out that if I stayed that way, nobody could hurt me today. So saying drugs are bad isn't really helpful. We know it's bad, but it serves a purpose. If it didn't, we wouldn't use it. Um, or how about those people that are like, why don't you just stop? And it's like, B8 moment, right? Wow, I wish I would have thought of that. In the 25 years that I was actively using, never once did I think, oh, I should just stop. But I thought that all the time, you know, but I didn't do it and I couldn't do it, right? If we want to sit there and look at how it progresses, it, it, it progresses from, from a choice in many instances to the point that we are physically dependent on it. And once that physical dependence kicks in and the psychological dependence kicks in, it makes it so hard to stop. In fact, for a lot of people, it makes it impossible for them to be able to do on their own. So he hears these people walk away. And a little bit longer later, he uh, hears more footsteps above and he calls out. Now they also stop and they come over to the edge. And there's a look of compassion on their faces as they stare down at them. And they say, you know, your problem's primarily a spiritual one. And they toss down a Bible to them, and they recommend some verses to read, and they tell them that they'll pray for them, and that he should be praying too. And then they walk on. Now what they said was true. He read the verses they recommended, and when he prayed, it helped him feel better, but he was still in the hole. My faith helped me out greatly in my recovery, although I didn't find it until I was 38. Um, today, I know that there are multiple pathways to recovery because I've met many amazing people who are walking amazing pathways that are not the same as mine. I know people who are working 12 steps, uh, Muslims in recovery, Jews in recovery, atheists, agnostics, people who use exercise and pro-social activities, people who are prescribed medication. I mean, I, so many different things. Now, the path that worked for me was Christ, but I'm not going to blindly recommend praying and reading the Bible to everybody who's stuck in a hole because I know that that's not the path out of the hole for everyone out there. In fact, I could alienate some people if that's how I lead. Because I know there was a time in my life when anyone who recommended praying or reading the Bible was immediately shut out. I wouldn't listen to anything else they'd say. So is it helpful? Absolutely in some cases. But it's not going to always be helpful. So they walked away. He felt better. And a short while later, he heard more footsteps coming. He called out for help once again. This time, the guy walking by stops, looks down, and goes, oh, man, you look stressed out. You know, I, I think you've got some anxiety going on down there. Here's a couple of mindfulness exercises you can do. If you practice these, they're going to help you feel better, I promise. And then he walked away. And what he said was true. The mindfulness exercises did help the guy in the hole. He felt a lot better, but he was still in the hole. A little while later, he heard more footsteps, right? A little bit of time passes. And he calls out, and a couple of heads peek down at him. Instantly, there's a look of concern on the faces. We're doctors, they call down, and we have just what you need. They tossed some medication down to him, told him to take one now, take one again in the morning, and he'd feel better. 
He took the medication. It wasn't long after the men walked off. He was feeling better, but he was feeling better still in the hole. A little while later, he heard more footsteps, but this time he didn't even bother calling out. All of his hope was gone. He knew he would never get out of the hole. Then he heard the footsteps stop. And then he heard them start to get closer to where he was. And as they approached the edge, head looked down. And there was no lecture. There was no spiritual advice. Instead, this person did something drastic. They jumped down in the hole with him. He leaped to his feet and he's like, what are you doing? Can't you see I'm stuck in this hole? Now you're stuck down here with me. Why would you do that? And the guy looked at him and said, no, we're not stuck in this hole. I've been in this hole before and I know the way out. So let's get out of here together. And with that, both men climbed out of the hole. Now, I like this story because it speaks to the power of hope and the power of lived experience. Right? Now, a caveat. Church, prayer, advice, medication, therapy, etc., etc., etc. All those things are important. Those are all methods, right? Those are all tools. But every single one of those is going to be better if there's a peer, someone with lived experience, what I would call a hope dealer, they're walking beside that person. Hope dealers work with people who are prescribed medication. They work with people who attend mutual support groups. They work with people who go to church. They work with people who don't go to church, people who have jobs, people who don't have jobs, people who have houses, people that don't, right? This is what we do. We walk beside everyone no matter what they're using to make their lives better, and we increase the positive impact of what they're using. There's a lot of power in lived experience. It's nice to know that somebody has been where you've been. In fact, the strength of the hope dealer is this. We can talk to somebody who is depressed and hopeless. In fact, they've lost all hope and they are, they've tied a knot in the end of their rope, right? And they're hanging on for dear life. In fact, maybe they are, they've, they've given up. They're getting ready to let go. They've ran out of strength. Their, their will to fight is no longer there. They know nobody's ever been where they've been. They know nobody's ever gone through what they've gone through. And even if somebody has been where they've been or done the things they've done or had the things done to them that have been done to them, they know those people have never gotten better. And then here you come, right? And you tell your story. It's the single most important tool that we have in our toolbox. Because when we share our story, they learn that not only is recovery possible, but that it's amazing and, rec- and incredible. Recovery is a reality because it's happened to us. Uh, I've got a buddy, uh, well, I call him a buddy. I've met him a couple of times, but he's a great guy. His name's Tom Hill. And he says, recovery is the expectation. I love that, right? We're not unicorns. There's 25 million people in the United States in long-term recovery. We're not a rarity, but the fact that we are speaking in community and being visible and vocal in the community, that might be what makes us a little bit rarer than the next person. So then we have the next story, and the next story is one about another hope dealer. It's from a short story called The Starfish Thrower, and I'm going to take some artistic liberty and paraphrase it because my memory is horrible. 
A young girl was walking along a beach upon which thousands of starfish had been washed up during a terrible storm. When she came to each starfish, she'd pick it up and throw it back into the ocean. And people watched her with amusement. I mean, people are just kind of laughing at her as she walks by. Oh, look at the cute little girl. She'd been doing this for some time when, when a man approached her and said, Little girl, I've been watching you, and I wasn't sure what you were throwing. I had to come down and see. And now that I see what you're th throwing, these starfish, I have to ask you, why are you doing this? I mean, look at this beach. You can't stave all these starfish. You can't begin to make a difference. I mean, there's thousands and thousands of them. The girl seemed crushed. Suddenly, she was deflated, but after a few moments, she bit down, she picked up a starfish, she hurled it as far as she could in the ocean, then she looked up at the old guy and she said, you know, I made a difference to that one. The old man looked at her inquisitively and thought about what she'd done. Inspired, he joined the little girl, and he started throwing back starfishes too. Soon other people joined in. And pretty soon, all of the starfish were saved. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to save everybody. That's the last thing that I would ever want to say. We're not going to save every person out there. But if we jump in as a hope dealer and we are visible and vocal about our recovery and the impact that we're making in our community, you will be shocked and surprised at the number of people who are going to jump in and join you when you start dealing hope. You know, so what is a hope dealer? You know, for me, I mean, and I'll, I guess I should have said this earlier. When I think of hope dealer, I remember seeing uh, from dealing dope to dealing hope. And I really like that, right? Because that's what we do. I mean, I was a dope dealer for years, and now I get to deal hope to people, and it's a lot more satisfying, and people don't walk to the other side of the street when I'm walking down the street today, which is pretty cool, too. But basically, what we're saying is a hope dealer is somebody who has lived experience, and they use that experience to help others. It's somebody who meets people where they're at with love and compassion. Everybody has value. It doesn't matter if you're sober or if you're still actively using. We still meet people where they're at and we try to impact them. We try to support them. You know, find out what their goals are and support those goals. We're all hope dealers, right? Because everybody's been through something. Depression, anxiety, trauma, substance use, broken relationships, cancer. You know, there's so many different things out there that people are hopeless about. Now, there may also be the argument that hope dealers lack clinical training. Personally, I believe that training is beneficial in the peer world. Strongly recommend peer training that covers behavioral health, right? Not just substance use disorders, but mental health also. Almost everyone that I know with an SUD has a co-occurring disorder on top of it. Right, co-occurring just means uh, that they have a substance use disorder and a mental health issue that's in there also. In fact, in Missouri, our certified peer specialist training um, is now a combined. We used to have a certified Missouri peer specialist, a com uh, yeah, certified Missouri, Missouri peer specialist, a CMPS, which was primary mental health, and then we had the. Missouri Recovery Support Specialist, who was primary SUD. 
and we combine both of those trainings so that people are getting not just the substance use disorder, but the mental health, and not just the mental health, but the substance use disorder. I think this is especially important for people, uh, the SUD, right? Because I know a lot of recovery coaches, and they're learning all kinds of great things uh, to do these amazing tools to use to impact people and support people who have substance use disorders, but they are not learning how to impact people that are going through mental health stuff. And that's really scary uh, because not only have we seen increases in substance use disorder, uh, SUD, you know, we've had record numbers of people who have died from overdoses every year for the past several years, but we're also seeing the highest number of suicides that we've ever had. So we need to learn how to talk to somebody who may be having suicidal ideation, somebody who may be going through depression. Now, we're not going to sit there and make a diagnosis, but we need to know how to be able to converse with somebody and what their options are and how to get them connected to the resources that they need. You know, it amazes me that more recovery coaches aren't getting trained in both. Because statistics will tell you 75 to 80% of the people with a substance use disorder also have a co-occurring mental health disorder. And as somebody who was a therapist for eight and a half years and has now worked a couple years in the recovery community after, so I've got a little bit over 10 years in the recovery field, my experience is, man, that, that number is way higher. I would say if you're looking at depression, anxiety, trauma, I'm probably going to say 90, 95% of the people that I work with have a co-occurring disorder. So I'm doing them a huge disservice if I'm not getting training uh, that covers both. So if you have just got the like recovery coaching and just the SUD, at least go take, take like a, like a, what do they call it? Um, a mental health first aid class, right? Go get yourself mental health first aid trained. That's what it, at least at the bare minimum, what I would recommend. So back to the original question, um, <clears throat> how important is lived experience? There's a guy named Scott Miller. Uh, and if you ever get a chance to go to a Scott Miller training, do he's like, he, he's like Robin Williams, just super wound up, um, spontaneous all over the room as he trains. One of the most entertaining trainers I've ever been around. And he did a lot of research on what he called therapeutic alliance. And what he found out is that, honestly, the treatment modality and uh, the number of years of training that the person had was not nearly as important as the alliance. Um, and to tell you what a therapeutic alliance is, I, I would put it simply as saying, uh, that old saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right? If people felt like you didn't really care about them, then they would not connect. So that's kind of what that was. There was that connection there. And if they felt that connection, which a hope dealer has off top, right? I already have that connection with people. So when I have that connection, it's going to be amazing. So let's see. Um, now that said, I've got... A few minutes that maybe we're going to go on a little rabbit hole really quick. I'm really good at uh, rabbit holes. My wife says I'm kind of like the dog from Up, you know, squirrel, where I think of something that I, I, I bound off. But we're going to try to control it a little bit. But basically, as a hope dealer, you need to make sure that you are practicing self-care. 
Um, there's a lot of burnout, compassion, fatigue, vicarious trauma that occurs. Uh, vicarious trauma, I think, is the one a lot of people may not have heard of. All that means is that you can get trauma through hearing other people share their trauma. And I'm going to tell you now, there's going to be a lot of vicarious trauma and tra traumatic experiences that you go through. Uh, it's one of the reasons that I left uh, therapy after eight and a half years was I would say it was more burnout than compassion fatigue, but I, there was a fair amount of compassion fatigue, I think, that led to the burnout. But I don't know. I was talking to somebody about this the other day. They were bragging about how many vacation days they had banked and they worked in behavioral health. And I'm like, man, you scare me. Because if you're not taking mental health days and not taking vacations and, you know, uh, I think Parks and Rec, treat yourself. You know, if you're not treating yourself good on occasion, whatever that may be, it could be spa days, manicures, pedicures, going fishing, going hunting, you know, uh, bike rides. I mean, whatever your thing is that helps you center. Uh, like one of my big things is floats. It, me, kayak, river, that's church to me, you know, um, that, that part, that piece of nature really helps me calm. So people need to be taking care of themselves. Uh, I stopped counting a while back, but let's, it, I think I stopped counting at 63 funerals since May of 2015 that I'd been to. So a little bit over three years, um, I'd been to 63 funerals. And it's hard not to take blame. And I want to tell you this now, if you're working with somebody and that person passes away, it is not your fault. It is not your fault they died any more than if they, 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 they stepped into recovery and stayed there. That's not you either. I hate to say it. We support people. We give people tools. Whether they use them or not, that's on them, right? That old, you can lead a horse to water. So you can provide all the water in the world, but... For some people, some people may die before they get to that point. And, and I'm not one of those people that wants to say, well, they just weren't ready yet. Because I believe that for a lot of people, if we're really good, uh, if we have really good tools and if we have good training and if we're able to, to develop that uh, – therapeutic alliance with people and able to use motivational interviewing and able to spark the hope in people that that a lot of times people are going to find the recovery but sometimes they're not and that's not on you you can't take the blame for that and it's easier said than done because in my mind I know it's not my fault but it doesn't stop me from seeing faces of people I've worked with who have died every single night when I go to sleep so please, if you're in the behavioral health field, take care of yourself. Self-care, take days off, take vacations, schedule a couple vacations every year. It's not whether you need it or not. You need it. Trust me. Uh, the average somebody lasts in uh, the SUD realm working with substance use disorders is three and a half years because they don't take care of themselves, because they feel guilty if they get away, because they feel guilty if they don't answer their phone. And I've been very guilty of that myself. But I will tell you now, I'm not effective if I'm not well. So we've got to take care of ourselves. So um, I guess I also want to say that 
the Hope Dealer isn't one of those titles that's thrown around like only some people are deserving because they're so great, right? Like these recovery rock stars that are out there running around. Um, Hope Dealers aren't like that at all. Everyone either is or has the ability to be a Hope Dealer because everybody's been through something, a hurt, a habit, a hang-up, a life-consuming issue, and have found victory on the other side. So sharing that is amazing, right? Now, let's really quick talk about some of the categories that we're going to have for some of our future podcasts. Um, Sometimes it's going to be me talking, right, Uh, about different topics, like maybe shame or guilt or what's important in early recovery or uh, some things that I have came up with, like the garbage theory, uh, spiritual spackle, uh, things like today, like what is a hope dealer? Um, how to journal, gratitude lists, right? All those different things. Uh, might be somebody talking about different pathways to recovery. So it might be somebody talking about uh, mutual support groups, uh, celebrate recovery, smart recovery, uh, maybe somebody who is utilizing psychopharmacology, um, somebody who's using exercise as their form of recovery, uh, somebody who's found recovery through treatment court, pro-social activities, right? Um, So we might have different people sometimes sharing their stories. Um, uh, Sometimes we'll have somebody on here in recovery. It's called 10 Questions. And we'll either have somebody in recovery or a family member of somebody in recovery or somebody who's passed away who are going to answer 10 questions. And those questions were ones that were developed through polls that we did. We came up with the top questions to ask people that the people that contributed to those, uh, I don't know, were they doodle polls? Um, I don't know. But anyway, we identified 10 questions to ask somebody in in recovery and 10 questions to ask a family member that people thought they'd really like to hear. And that's what it'll be. Or sometimes we'll have a guest professional. Uh, They might be a professional, say they, they might specialize in harm reduction and treatment in, you know, advocacy. So those types of things. And sometimes it might be a category. So there's going to be a lot of different episode formats on here because I don't want it to just be me. Sometimes it may be me and one other person answering questions and talking. You know, um, maybe we'll go over topics and things. So it'll change. If you ever have any ideas, I mean, just drop them on the end, right? Put some things in here. uh, Drop comments. Go to www.betterlifeandrecovery.com and leave a comment. You can also go there and uh, register to get our newsletter or see some of the events and things we have going on. So we've got a lot of different things there. In closing, I just want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Please join us every week for new episodes. If you want to connect with us further, if you have any questions, topics you'd like to hear in the future, or maybe you would like to be on the podcast sometime, you can connect with us at betterlifeandrecovery.com. Uh, there's a Better Life and Recovery page on Facebook, or you can uh, we're on Twitter, uh, B-L-I-R underscore N-P-O. Also, this podcast is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about the network at studiodna.media. Thanks a lot. Y'all have a great week.